Welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 179, where we are now in the New Testament in the book of Matthew, and uh, chapter 4 is where we're going to be starting today. Now, I don't know what kind of pace we're going to have. I don't know how, what kind of speed we're going to be going through this Word because <clears throat> there is so much meat in these chapters that Jesus is speaking, and Jesus is speaking a very challenging Word to us all. And um, so I don't know how quickly we're going to be getting through these chapters in the Gospels. Uh, uh, I just don't know. We're going to take it as it comes. I'm not going to short the Lord on his word because what he has uh, to say to us is very critical to how we live. And again, it's very challenging. I find it uh, to be extremely challenging and whatnot. But it's the voice of Jesus. It's the voice of the Lord telling us how we are to live, how we're to think, you know, what, what should be in our hearts and it, it's it's a very a very difficult word. Now we where we left off, we have to remember Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, and he has come up out of the water after being baptized. And the Lord has said um, from heaven, "This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." And so that's the end of chapter three. So as we get into chapter four, it says the temptation of Jesus. And then in verse one, it says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit. Then after he was baptized and the Lord essentially anointed him, it says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says, after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In verse 4, he answered, It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, why is this critical? Because we see here it says that um, uh, God led Jesus into the wilderness, not the devil. God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. You know, so a lot of times we're putting things on the enemy, on the devil, with regard to what happens to us or the temptations that get presented to us. And it could be the Lord, because it says here that God led Jesus into the wilderness. Now, the first Adam, you know, uh, he sinned, he fell, and he failed in his mission. He failed in his mission to resist the devil, because he did. He ate of the tree when uh, God told him not to, so he failed in his mission. And as a result, later on, the children of Israel, when they, after they were led out of Egypt, uh, they were led into the wilderness, you know, because Adam had failed. The second Adam, which is Jesus, was also led into the wilderness. But this time, Jesus was victorious. The second Adam was vic victorious in the wilderness. In the first Adam, the result was the wilderness for the people. And in the second Adam, he was victorious in uh, the wilderness because he resisted the enemy. And then we see here in chapter 4, it says, he answered, oh, excuse me, we see here in chapter 5, after <clears throat> uh, Jesus tells uh, the enemy, uh, man does not live by bread alone, he says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus replies, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. <laughs> and so uh, a lot of times people will come at you with scripture to try to get you to do something. The onus on you is to know what scripture says so that you can respond in a godly manner. 
If you don't know what Scripture says and somebody is just quoting you, well, this is what Scripture says, you're likely to succumb to what they want you to do because you have a lack of knowledge. The Word says, my people fail for a lack of knowledge, see? And so we need to have knowledge of this Word so that we don't get manipulated by others. So here we have the enemy trying to manipulate Jesus, but Jesus comes back and says, uh-uh, the Word also says, do not test the Lord your God. In verse 8 it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Now here, there's a question with this, okay? Does the devil have that authority? He says, I will give you all these things. He's, so he's taking Jesus up to a high place on the mountain. Every kingdom he, that he could see, uh, the enemy is saying, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Does he have that authority? I'm not sure. If we, go, if we go to Job, you know, first of all, the word says that the enemy is, is the father of lies. And so he could have been just, you know, lying to the Lord. Now, why he would try to lie to Jesus, I don't know. Or maybe God granted him some degree of authority on the earth like he did over Job. I don't know. Okay. But in verse 10, Jesus answers, he says, uh, Jesus then told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And, uh, and so, so Jesus is referring back to Old Testament scripture, and he's answering the enemy with regard to what he wants him to do. It says in verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him, or angels came and began to minister to him. And so he was hungry, uh, resisting temptation, I would imagine, takes a certain degree of physical and emotional energy. (laughs) In order to do the Lord's will, sometimes, I mean, this isn't this isn't easy all the time. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's very, very, very difficult, you know, uh, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Next section says ministry in Galilee. So Jesus is ministry in Galilee. It says in verse 12, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. So he, Jesus hears that John is arrested, John the Baptist, one who baptized him. So he goes to Galilee. It says in verse 14, <laughs> This was to fill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the, uh, by the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. And so we find this particular scripture in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And so Jesus is fulfilling this scripture. He retreats to Galilee to gather himself, I guess. And it says here that the people who live in darkness, the people of Galilee, they have now seen a great light. They've seen, they've laid eyes on Jesus and they've seen a great light. And it says, for those living in the shadow of death, the light has dawned, a light has dawned. And so You see here that Jesus has come in order to bring the light to the people. It says in verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach. So this is when Jesus's ministry starts. Okay. He, after he's been baptized, you know, after he's been tempted and passed the test, then he begins to preach. In other words, the Lord has sent Jesus through a time of preparation because I think he's about 30 years old at this time. So he sent him through a time of preparation before 
he began to preach. Now, there is a, a lesson here. And there's a principle here. A lot of times people get out and start to do something before they're ready. They haven't been tested. They go out prematurely. See, and this does, just doesn't apply to ministry. I mean, this applies to a lot of things in life. And so before you can really know something at times, you have to be tested first to know what's really in you. And so Jesus went through the test with the enemy before he began, he began his preaching ministry. This is very important. So, so from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven, ha- uh, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he began to preach this message. The, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Next section says, first disciples in verse 18. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you uh, fish for people. Or in some translations, it says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Then it says in uh, verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see, Peter and Andrew had an immediate response to the call. They didn't say, well, let me pray about it or let me think about it or let me go home and sleep on it or whatever. They had an immediate response to the call. There was something about Jesus's call that resonated in them and they obeyed it immediately. Again, there's a principle here. Verse 21, it says, Go on from there, he said to, uh, he's, Go on from there. He saw two other brothers. Back up, Mike. Verse 21. Going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. So the two brothers are in the boat fishing with their dad. So they're at work. So Jesus called the brothers. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So again, we see Jesus makes the call. And then we see two brothers working with their dad leave immediately to follow Jesus. Then it says teaching, preaching, and healing in verse 23. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee teaching in their synagogues, in their churches, if you will, um, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So Jesus started, uh, started to, uh, Jesus started to do a work, right? So he's out there preaching, teaching, healing, you know, <clears throat> verse 24. Then the news about him spread through Syria. So they brought, uh, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, um, and, the para, and the paralytics, and he healed them. And so his reputation started to go forth, and so they started to bring people from faraway lands to Jesus in order that they may be healed. If you've ever been in any pain or had any illness, you know, <laughs> your overriding concern and desire is to, is to get healed. And so... And so the obstacles don't really matter. So they came from a a long distance in order to be healed. In verse 25, it says, large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, the 10 cities, if you will, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. In chapter 5, it says the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus um, saw a bunch of crowds. So he went up on the mountaintop. He sat down. And then he started to teach. 
the Beatitudes. Verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. To me, that one is huge. If, if I don't feel like I'm living righteously, it's because I haven't hungered or thirsted for righteousness. Because the word is saying here that if I hunger and thirst, I will be filled. I, not I might be filled, I probably will be filled, maybe I'll be filled. No, the word says, for they will be filled, but the precondition is one has to hunger and thirst for it. In verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You reap what you sow. A lot of times we want mercy in situations, but we haven't been merciful to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they uh, will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. That's huge. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You have rabble-rousers, right? You have instigators. Right? And then you have people that try to be, bring the calm and peace in tense situations. Jesus is saying, those, those are the ones, the peacemakers, that will be called sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You see, a lot of times people get persecuted, but they're getting persecuted from their own behavior. In other words, they're not getting persecuted because of righteousness. It's not like that they were doing something righteous, that they were doing uh, something that God had called them to do, and then therefore they started to get persecuted. I mean, that happens a lot. That happens today a lot. But there are a large number of people who claim to be getting persecuted, but they're not getting persecuted because of righteousness. They're getting persecuted for some other reason. <clears throat> But those who are getting persecuted because of righteousness, it says the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Then it says in verse 11, it says, You who are blessed when they insult you and persecute you falsely and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. See, when people say evil things about us because of Jesus. See, not because of anything else, not because of something else that you've done or said or, or, whatever, or, or whatever, but because of Jesus. <clears throat> when, you are blessed, when you are blessed when they insult you and uh, persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. So the Lord is saying, look, when they persecute you and say bad things about you and mock you because you're following me, celebrate, baby, because your reward is great in heaven. It says, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're experiencing what the prophets experienced because you're following me. So your reward is going to be huge. It says, believers are salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? 
It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What it's saying here is, look, I've created you to have a certain saltiness with regard to the world. In other words, what I'm calling you to do is different than the ways of the, of the world. See, I'm calling you to be spicy. I'm calling you to, to come against the ways of the world, those things that are against me. But some of you, you become a part of the world. And so you have lost your saltiness. When they look at you, they don't see anything different than themselves. And he says, well, when that happens, what good are you? You know, except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. And here's the key and give glory to your father in heaven and not so that you can become famous and you can be elevated in pride, and you can feel good about yourself, and you can be noticed in the streets and whatnot. No, 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 no. That's not the motivation. The motivation is so that people can see your work. See, when you maintain your saltiness, you maintain your difference from the world, and then people see your works. People see your good works that are motivated by the Lord. They see a selfless person, and it says, then they'll give glory to to our Father in heaven. See, it's not so that they give glory to you. It's not so that you bring attention to yourself. It's so that God can get the glory through you because you have maintained your saltiness. Then it says, uh, Christ fulfills the law. Verse uh, 17, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Now remember, Jesus is talking to the Jews and he's saying, look, we have the Levitical laws, you know, the, the, the book of Moses and everything that was written in there and then Deuteronomy. And he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or don't think that I came to negate what the prophet said. No, I came to fulfill all of that. You see, because the law and the prophets were trying to govern people's behavior. See, Jesus is asking, uh, or not asking, he's actually commanding something greater than that. He's not talking about external behavior. Jesus is concerned with the condition of our hearts. See, we can, we can behave in any kind of way. We can, we can give to the poor, but internally we can despise them and hate the fact that they're taking our money. See, that's what Jesus is after. He's after the heart. He's after our behavior emanating from what's inside our heart, not being governed by our mind because we're trying to follow some rules and regulations. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. What is the Lord saying here? He's in the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day were concerned with behavior. They wanted people to behave the right way. It's like a lot of people when they're raising their children, they're concerned with how their children are behaving. But they don't get concerned about what is motivating them. So you can get the right behavior because you're watching and they know you're watching. But as soon as you're not around, then their real selves will start, will start to reveal. 
You see, and so the the religious people were just after uh, the people's behavior, controlling their behavior. They were concerned about external um, reputations. They were concerned about how people saw them. And Jesus is going after the heart. He's saying, for I tell you, unless you are more righteous than those, unless your heart is right, he says you will never see the kingdom of heaven. He says murder begins in the heart in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. Now, he says this a lot. He says, you have heard that it was said. Now, this is what people have told you. Do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you this. Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister um, will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. You see, so Jesus is saying, it's not just you know, what you do, it's what's in your heart. It's what comes out of your mouth. See, because what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. Then he says in verse 23, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, uh, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come back and offer your gift. In other words, what he's saying is, before you offer your gift, get your heart right. See, you have to offer with the right motivation, with the right intentions. Then it says, adultery begins in the heart. You have heard it said. Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I'm here to tell you something else. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you this, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. See, again, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Old Testament, whatnot, they're concerned with behavior. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. Jesus takes it to the next level. If you commit adultery, it's because it's coming out of your heart. So he takes it to the next level and says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already done it. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose uh, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one part of your body, one of your body, body parts, excuse me, than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Jesus advocating mutilation, no. He's just making a very, very um, uh, uh, graphic illustration about how destructive sin is. That's the point. The point is to get people to understand how destructive sin is to their eternal condition. It says, tell the truth. In verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all. So Jesus said, you have heard it said, you know, don't make an oath you know, to the Lord and you must keep all your oaths. But I'm here to tell you something even greater than that. Don't make an oath at all. It says in verse 37, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. If you have to tell somebody, look, I swear I'm telling the truth. That means that there are some times that you say things that you don't tell the truth. And so the Lord is saying that, look, whatever you say, people should just be able to accept it as the truth without you making any additional qualifiers. 
I will be there at 10 o'clock. Okay. No, I swear to God, I'll be there at 10 o'clock. No, no. The, Jesus is saying, you don't, need to, you don't need to do that. Just say, I'll be there at 10 o'clock. Because your yes should be yes and your nay should be nay. It says, go to second mile in verse 38. It says, you have heard that it was said. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right, on the right cheek, turn him uh, to the other. Turn, excuse me, uh, slaps you on your right cheek. Turn the other to him also or as well. Now, this gets misinterpreted. I shouldn't say gets mis misinterpreted. There are a lot of different interpretations of this because sometimes people think this means that you're to be passive. And if somebody hits you, give them the other cheek so that they can hit you as well. <clears throat> That's not quite what it might be saying. <laughs> and so in Old Testament times uh, or New Testament times, in ancient times, you know, people use their their um, their left hand for unclean things, okay? And so if you were to slap somebody on the cheek, you know, they did it with a, a backhand, you know, that was to, that was to uh, demonstrate uh, mastery over somebody. If they turned the other cheek in order to use the unclean hand, then that was uh, almost like a dare. That was almost like um, saying, look, you did this, but I'm going to turn the other cheek. Do it as do it as well because I'm an equal to you, and so we'd we'd have to understand the cultural norms at the time to get the proper interpretation of this. And so what Jesus is saying essentially is that not to resist at all, but don't resist violently. He does not want violence to be met with violence. That's what the issue is here. There are other ways to impose your will to resist and whatnot. He just does not want violent responses. Then it says in verse 40, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, uh, let him have your coat as well. So again, this is, this is a way of, of kind of being defiant in a way. It's like, oh, here, you, oh, you need my coat? Hmm, my shirt here. Oh, why don't you take my coat as well? You know, you're taking stuff from me. Why don't you take this as well? And so it's, it's almost like you know, if somebody wants to get in an argument with you, but you decide not to argue back, it's very difficult for that person to keep trying to argue with you and be angry because you're not participating in what they want to do. So you are actually controlling the situation. See, It says, and if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. So if they force you to go to a mile and say, okay, you're done. No, I'm going to go with you a second mile as well. It's almost like throwing it in their face, if that makes any sense. And it says in verse 42, uh, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And so it's a similar sort of thing. Jesus, I think, is, is trying to teach the people how to constructively resist. You see, because, uh, you know, violence being met with violence just begets more violence. And usually there's no solution. Then it says, love your enemy in verse 43. You have heard that it was said again, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. And so Jesus said, look, if somebody hates you and persecutes you, you know, then I want you to pray for those people. I don't want you to hate them. I want you to love them. Now, love them. The, the love 
Biblical love is different than what we think of love. And we'll get to, get to that when we get into Corinthians. But so it's not, you know, this emotional type of thing. It's something else. He says, love your neighbor. Don't hate him. You know, don't hate your enemy. So that you may be children of your father in heaven. So he presents it as a qualification. You want to be a child of God? Then love your enemies. It says, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? In other words, anybody can love people who love them. That's nothing. It says, don't even tax collectors do the same. They were despised people. It said, don't even they do that? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? See, if you only greet people that you like, your buddies, your friends, you're doing like everybody else. Don't even the Gentiles do the same? And so, you know, Jesus is challenging us with regard to how we behave to people, how we respond. You know, how one who believes in God is to is to be uh, is to not only behave, but the mind and the heart they're to have, how they look at things, how they evaluate, how they analyze. This is tough. And with that, we'll pick it up in chapter six tomorrow. Everybody be blessed, stay safe, and have a great day. Bye-bye.